Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a crime story podcast for episode three. I'm your host, Kaylin Lois, and I am so excited to have you here today. I have some crazy cases. That's right. I said cases to tell you about today. So you can follow along and view pictures of today's cases on Instagram at a crime story pod or my Facebook page, a crime story podcast. A reminder, a crime story podcast can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. You can watch along on YouTube or my website. Let's just jump into today's case. It is crazy. Today's crime story explores not one, not two, but three cases. We will be looking at the disappearance of Rebecca Karim, the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley, and the murder of Christy Manzanares. The commonalities between these three incidences? They all happen in international waters and aboard cruise ships. First, we must discuss international waters and the laws of the sea. At first glance, one might see the sea and the ocean as a lawless place where pirates roam and one can get away with murder. Well, not exactly. Article 27 of the United Nations Conference on Law of the Sea provides that criminal jurisdiction of a coastal state should not be exercised to arrest any person or conduct any investigation in connection with any crime committed on a foreign ship passing through territorial sea, except in relations to cases outlined in the article which relate to that jurisdiction. Okay, that was a mouthful. Let me break that down a little bit. Basically, this aspect of Law of the Sea is that if I'm on a ship 15 miles off the coast of France, but the ship is registered to Italy and it flies under the Italian flag, Italian authorities would investigate a crime that happens while on board. Maritime countries essentially control the territorial waters from the shore out to a distance of 12 miles, aka the 12-mile limit. Within this zone, all laws of that country apply. Maritime countries are also entitled to an exclusive economic zone called the EEZ, made up of water column and a seabed out to the distance of 200 miles. Meaning in this zone, they can set fishing regulations and drill for oil, but they can't prevent a vessel from coming into their zone. With the respect to international crimes such as piracy, human trafficking, and crimes against humanity, any country or international organization can theoretically claim authority over the matter using the concept of universal jurisdiction. Now that we have a basic understanding of of the complex articles controlling the laws of the sea, let's move on to our first crime story. Rebecca Corinne, an English national born in 1987, grew up in a loving home to two loving parents, Mike and Anna Maria along with her sister and two foster brothers. Rebecca enjoyed the outdoors, physical activities, and even majored in sports science in college. Killer, she liked to run, bike, swim, and walk her dog, Jessie. In 2010, Rebecca traveled to London to interview with the Disney Cruise Line. Hundreds of people interviewed for ship jobs, and she really didn't think she would get it. 
but she did. She started working for Disney in 2010 as a youth worker, which is kind of like an activities manager for children on board the ship. Rebecca trained in the Bahamas for Disney before stationed on the Disney cruise ship Wonder, which was docked out of Los Angeles, California. This particular ship sailed from LA down to Mexico and back. While working the cruise circuit, Rebecca got a call from her family and unfortunately learned that her grandfather had died. She flew home to England to be with her family and little did anyone know, this would be the last time Rebecca's family ever saw her. Unlike yesteryear when individuals who sailed the seas were not able to remain in contact with their friends and family, fortunately in 2011, Rebecca was able to remain in constant contact. On March 22nd, 2011, she wrote on her mother's Facebook wall for the last time stating she would call her mom soon. That call never came. Her parents soon worried. The next day, Rebecca missed her shift at 9 a.m. on Disney's Wonder. The crew looked for her in her cabin in the crew's lounge to no avail. The United States Coast Guard and Mexican Navy started searching the waters for Rebecca in fears that she had gone overboard. The ship's security team started looking at CCTV and a camera spotted Rebecca at 5.45 a.m. In the video, Rebecca has on clothing that does not appear to be her own. It was baggy clothing and it appears to be more like man's clothing. And she seemed to strut in the video. The footage shows Rebecca on a phone and someone approaches her and asks her if she's okay. And she replies, yeah, I'm fine. Disney had registered their ship, the Wonder, in the Bahamas, and under the law of the sea, that meant Bahamian authorities took charge of an investigation. Disney flew out a Bahamian detective, Paul Roll, via private jet to investigate. The investigation started three days after she had last been seen on the boat, and the boat had already redocked in Los Angeles. Detective Roll spent one day on board. He interviewed only six employees and no passengers. This investigation seems lax, to say the least. And as a former Disney employee myself, I'm surprised that Disney allowed such. One of their employees was missing for heaven's sakes. I'm sorry, it just makes me a little mad. <laughs> anyway, after several days of a stall communication, Disney flew Rebecca's parents from England to Los Angeles. In the matter of their missing daughter, the Corrins retreated Disney style. Everything is a show to Disney, even their missing employees. <laughs> According to Anne Maria, Rebecca's mother, and this is a quote, everything was staged by Disney. We were taken in a car with blackout windows on the boat's back entrance as passengers disembarked from the front. They took us to a room where they played the CCTV of Rebecca, where largely she appears to be fine, end quote. I guess they didn't show her the footage that they got of her at 5.45 a.m. because her mother said she seems fine, or maybe they did show her that footage and she seemed fine to her. I don't know. While on board, Rebecca's parents spoke to the ship's captain. The captain had a theory and an opinion that Rebecca was on the cruise pool deck on deck five and a rogue wave came in and swept Rebecca out to sea. 
Rebecca's parents found the story lacking in complete BS as seven foot high walls exist on deck five by the crew pool. The captain based his conclusion on crew members finding a sandal on deck five that supposedly could have belonged to Rebecca. The following day, Rebecca's parents left the ship while Disney handled this heartbreaking matter by placing a lay of flowers on deck five for Rebecca. The matter seemed over, but a year after the incident, a woman emailed Rebecca's family stating that she saw Rebecca in Venice with a man. Her father did not take this sighting as fact because how could his daughter get from off the coast of Mexico slash California to Italy without a passport? But the email did make him feel hopeful that his daughter could possibly still be alive. The sighting did cause Rebecca's parents to hire a journalist to play P.I. to get to the bottom of what happened. He actually boarded the ship on a cruise in a chance to discover the truth. Crew members told the journalist under anonymity that everyone knows she went overboard from the cruel pool on deck 5 from a wave. But after looking at weather reports of that night, the ocean seemed to be calm. But then he heard another story from a crew member that Rebecca had been in a rocky relationship with a girl crew member. Apparently, a love triangle existed. And on the night in question, Tracy, who was Rebecca's girlfriend, and Rebecca engaged in a threesome with Tracy's boyfriend. That's right. Tracy had a girlfriend and a boyfriend. Tracy, Tracy, Tracy. Apparently, Rebecca knew of this, but she didn't want to share Tracy with anyone. According to Tracy, Rebecca became depressed and told her that she wanted to jump off the ship. Tracy thought that the night Rebecca went missing, Rebecca did just that. She jumped off the ship and committed suicide. To this day, no one really knows what happened to Rebecca. As I mentioned earlier, I worked at Disney World and there were cameras everywhere. I find it hard to believe that if Rebecca went overboard intentionally or unintentionally, that CCTVs did not capture it. Theories on what happened to Rebecca range from a rogue wave to suicide or possibly an accident took place. The obvious area to explore would be the love triangle going amiss theory. What about that sighting in Italy? Was it just someone trying to insert themselves in an investigation? Perhaps we'll never know. Our next crime story focuses on the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. Her case is creepy and it's sad and it's frightening and it honestly makes me never want to go on a cruise. Ever. Amy, an American, was born in Virginia in 1974. And I really couldn't find out much about her personality. And y'all know how this infuriates me. Because Amy was a person above all else. She had likes and dislikes and dreams and goals. And all of that is lost because of what happened to her. In 1998, her family took a cruise to the Caribbean. Consisting of her mother, Iva, her father, Ron, and her brother, 
Brad, they all wanted to have a trip as a last hurrah before Amy and Brad really started their own lives and ventured off into adulthood. The family decided to go on a cruise to the Caribbean on Royal Caribbean's boat, Rhapsody. On the cruise, the family had a great time. They spent time as a family, went on islands to have fun, and took pictures in front of those, like, scenes. If you've ever been on a cruise, they have, like, these poster backgrounds that you take a picture in front of. There's some pictures of Amy just looking beautiful next to her brother, and it's actually really sweet. All perfectly normal events that millions of families engage in while on a cruise. On the night of March 24th, Amy and her brother Brad partied at one of the ship's nightclubs. Amy had a great time, drinking as well as dancing with the band's bass player nicknamed Yellow, whose real name is Alistair Douglas. Video of Amy dancing this night exists, and she's having a blast, not a care in the world. Amy and her brother returned to their room and sat on the room's balcony to have a late night smoke. Brad told her that he loved her and went off to catch some seas before the ship docked at the next port, which was Curacao. At 5.30 a.m., Amy's father woke up and looked on the balcony and saw Amy's legs in the chair. Ron assumed that she must have fallen asleep out there and went back to bed. Only 30 minutes later, when he got up again, he noticed that Amy, along with her cigarettes and her lighter, were no longer on the balcony, but her shoes had remained there. Ron searched for Amy around the whole boat for an hour, and he could not find her and started to worry. Ron woke up his wife and Brad in a frenzy. The boat had just docked at their next port of call, Carousel, and Ron found the captain and begged him not to let people off the dock so that they could have a greater chance at finding Amy. Captain rejected this request and even refused to make an, an announcement regarding the situation. He did, however, agree to have the crew help look for Amy while the passengers were out and about in Curacao. Yellow, remember the bass player from the night before, went up to Brad and said, sorry about what happened to your sister. This interaction occurred before really anyone knew what was going on with Amy. How did Yellow know? A crew member told Bradley's family that around 5.30 a.m., the same time Ron believes he saw his daughter on the balcony, that they saw Amy walking towards the club with Yellow. The ship later told the Bradleys that they had searched the entire boat and Amy was not on the ship. The Bradleys decided to disembark the boat because if Amy was on, on the ship, she had to be in Curacao, right? The Bradleys contacted the U.S. Embassy that night. The Curacao authorities helped search for Amy the following day. A family member contacted the FBI and they determined that the initial authorities did not search the ship properly for Amy. The Bradleys met up with the ship at their next port of call, along with the FBI in St. Thomas. But because the boat was in international waters, the captain did not have to comply to the FBI's request to search. Thankfully, the captain did comply and allowed the FBI to start an investigation. The FBI interviewed Alistair Thomas, even hooking up Old Yellow to a polygraph, which he passed. But Alistair's story seemed to change several times over the years. And to me, there's just something 
fishy and off about him. Another crazy detail is that when you enter a cruise, they take a like a stock photo of you and your family in front of a green screen and they'll normally put like the cruise ship in the back and they'll print them out and they hope that you buy them. Anyway, the family wanted to see this picture and Amy's picture could not be found. It was missing. While these factoids might not seem to relate to the disappearance, something was amiss and I have read and watched enough crime stories to know that when coincidences occur, something is wrong and I just perk up. This case becomes terrifying to me at this point. This is honestly everyone's worst nightmare. Two possible sightings of Amy and Curacao have come to light. One in 1999 and the other in 1998. The people who supposedly saw her thought they recognized Amy's tattoos. In 1999, a U.S. Navy man said he saw a girl in a brothel and told her that her name was Amy Bradley and she begged him for help. Explaining that she was being held against her will and she was not allowed to leave. In 2005, Amy may have been spotted in a department store in Barbados. Three men were with her. A witness stated that the woman approached her and that her name was Amy. She was from Virginia, but then the three men took her away. Authorities created a composite sketch of the men and the woman. In 2005, a member of an organization that locates sex trafficking victims on adult websites noticed a photo and he thought it might have been Amy. (laughs) How awful is this? I can't even imagine what her parents must have been thinking when they saw this photo and how their heart must have just sunk. My heart sinks even looking at this photo. Ever since 2005, no new leads have surfaced in the case of Amy Lynn Bradley. What do you think happened to Amy? The Bradleys don't believe that Amy committed suicide. Amy was supposedly terrified at the ocean. And she had so much going for her back home, including a new job and a new puppy. Do you think Alistair Douglas, aka Yellow, had something to do with it? Do you think Amy could have ended up in a sex trafficking ring, which is just awful, 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 awful. Some have even speculated that Amy could have walked away from it all and started a new life in the Caribbean. Now, our third and final crime story to take place in international waters and on a cruise ship is the murder of Christy Manzanarius. Born in 1973 in Salt Lake, Utah, Christy was a mother of three. But in 2017, her family was now living in St. George, Utah. Christy was a mother of three and a realtor and has been described as a dedicated and loving mother who juggled her business schedule to make her children her top priority. Vibrant personality, welcoming smile, kind heart, and compassion for everyone she met were the words used by people who knew her. In 2017, Christy, along with her husband, Kenneth, planned a cruise to Alaska to celebrate their 18th wedding anniversary. I've always wanted to go on a cruise to Alaska, just to put that out there. They took with them their three daughters along with some extended family. On July 25th, while having dinner... Kenneth became belligerent. 
According to a source, he had been acting terrible all night, and at one point in the evening, Christy even asked him for a divorce and wanted him to disembark the vessel in Juneau in order for him to travel back to Utah. So I guess you can say their anniversary trip was not going well. On Tuesday night, members of the entertainment team held a murder mystery party for the passengers. Sadly, this murder mystery took a twist and caused some confusion when announcements for security and medical blasted throughout the ship. Thinking it was a part of the dramatics, around 9 p.m., passengers heard screaming coming from cabin D-276. Around the same time, the Manzanarius' youngest daughter came running out of her cabin saying that her parents had gotten into a fight. Confusion turned to horror as these events were not a part of the murder mystery show. Around 9.20 p.m., medical pronounced Christy had died in her cabin. Christy had a severe head wound and blood had spread on to, quote, multiple surfaces around the room. In my research, the timeline of events gets a bit murky, but a witness did tell security that he had went into the couple's cabin and saw Christy on the floor covered with blood. More significantly, he stated that he saw Kenneth with blood on his hands and its clothing. He asked him what happened, which Kenneth allegedly replied, she would not stop laughing at me. Kenneth then allegedly grabbed his wife's body and dragged it towards the cabin's balcony. The witness told security that he himself grabbed Christie's ankles and pulled her back inside the cabin. Moments later, security arrived. While being processed by the FBI, Kenneth allegedly said, My life is over. Yeah, buddy, it is because you murdered your wife. Only seven miles from Frontier Island in Alaska, the 12-mile rule applied here and America was in charge of the investigation of the murder. An FBI agent boarded the boat less than an hour after the murder. The ship diverted to Alaska's capital city of Juneau and authorities allowed no one to leave the ship. Passengers remained sequestered in their cabins for nine hours while the FBI investigated. Princess Cruise Lines told fellow passengers in the media that Christie died as a result of a domestic dispute. On February 7th, 2020, Kenneth Manzanarius pled guilty to one count of murder in the second degree and faces a life sentence. Due to the COVID pandemic, he is still awaiting sentencing. This concludes the awful crime of the murder of Christy Manzanarius. Let's review the stories. Rebecca Quorum disappeared on a cruise ship while employed by the Disney Cruise Line. Do you think a rogue rave swept her out to sea? Did she commit suicide or was foul play involved? In the terrifying case of Amy Lynn Bradley, I personally think she was sold into sex slavery. There are too many credible sightings to support this theory. But the last sighting was in 2005. Nothing has come of her case in the past 15 years. I honestly doubt that she is still alive. In the murder of Christy Manzanarius, her husband obviously snapped during what was supposed to be the trip of a lifetime. 
Kenneth felt it was necessary to take a life and destroy the lives of his three children and extended family while they were on vacation. There exists a special place in hell for Kenneth. All three cases show how perfectly normal women making their way through life were victimized on a cruise ship. We see shortcomings in the law of the sea as well as the difference between an immediate investigation and a delayed investigation. It does not surprise me that crime happens on floating cities of two to 3,000 people. Yet the legal apparatus does not seem to be efficient enough to deal with the most horrendous crimes. The conclusion that she leapt off the ship to her death seems to be too convenient of an alternate theory. And perhaps we should be more surprised that more people aren't looking to commit mayhem in this ocean. Because we can see by two of these three stories that barely any investigation took place. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline for America at 1-800-799-7233 or text LOVEIS at 1-866-331-9497. This concludes the third episode of A Crime Story. I would love to hear your thoughts about today's cases. You can comment on A Crime Story's Instagram at A Crime Story Pod where I will be posting images from today's story, or you can comment on a Crime Story podcast on Facebook or a Crime Story pod on Twitter. Or you can even comment or see additional photos on a Crime Story podcast on YouTube. I have also started a website where you can listen to the podcast as well as read a transcript of today's story under the blog tab. The website URL is a crime story slash my site. And I've had a few people request cases to me. If you would like to request a case, just DM me on Instagram and I would love to look into it. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please leave a review of the podcast, it helps others find it. Also, if you could tell a friend about a crime story, I would greatly appreciate it. I hope to see you next time where I will be covering a crime story from Brazil. You won't want to miss it. A Crime Story is hosted and written by me, Kaylin Lois. Sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes. Theme music is by Ross Budgen. Additional story editing is brought to you by my father, Mike. Francois Tardivall helps me produce the show. Thank you for listening to A Crime Story. Stay safe and be kind. Thank you.